Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. It's the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour. With Chris Clark, Wes Mitchell, and Tyler Head. On your home of the Gamecocks in Columbia. 107.5 The Game. On 100.3 The Game in Myrtle Beach. And 100.5 The Game in Florence. And welcome in. It is the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour presented by Firehouse Subs. Here on the game, I did not turn my microphone on there to start. Chris caught me on that one. Better music this morning. Thank you. Um, <laughs> I noticed you guys are sitting in Colin's cave because he likes to turn the lights out when he comes in the studio. Mm-hmm. So you guys are sitting in darkness. It's the, ant- it's the anti, anti Jay Phillips. Jay has the lights yeah, on. Yeah, Jay I think, turns every light on. He likes to be illuminated. <laughs> Speak, uh, you know what else is illuminated? Wes has a glossy, shiny, the return of the Phil Steele 2023 college football preview. Okay. Although we're a couple couple weeks in now. Yeah, it's kind of one of those things like once the season gets started, you don't look back don't, on last year quite as much. Don't, don't you dare <laughs> take I'm not, a shot. I'm Spitzer saying, Rattler on the cover. I'm not knocking it. I mean, I feel like if you're going into a game, like if you go online – there's a thousand different websites that can tell you what's going on with Georgia football. Sure. Like today. <laughs> but you still need a big picture. Like, here's where everything was coming into the season, I mm-hmm. think. And then that's you, a good point. And then, like, none of the sites have, like, a. They're, they're so focused on backup left guards <laughs> that you need, you need, like, a big picture uh, kind of. Here's where everything yeah. is from a from a up top like a 3000 foot view then you can go into what happened in the first 2 weeks. You mean other websites have been talking about their offensive lines the entire off season too. I mean that's no fan base has ever been happy with their <laughs> offensive line in the history of football. Well, let me ask you this. You guys Please have been, do. you guys have been at Gamecock Center for a while now. Have you ever talked about the offensive line this much during an off season? Actually, probably. <laughs> yeah, <Really>? Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, usually, I mean, there's been lots of years. I remember an early Muschamp one where they had a bunch of veterans, and it was, you know, the offensive line has got to be the anchor of this team. It'll be the strength. Yeah. What year was that? Soundbite you'd like to have back, probably. Narrator. It was not. It was not. Um, 2016, maybe. Wasn't that his first team? Had to be 16 or 17. Yeah, I feel like it might have been 17. And remember, I was talking to somebody about this last night. That 17 team had a lot of talent at the skill positions, right? Think about some of the guys that were on that team. wasn't a very good offense. 2018 was pretty good. Mm. You know, I think they averaged 30 points a game. They had some ups and downs, but it's pretty good offense. 17, not not good. And one of the reasons for that, I mean, like the offensive line, it was said going into the year, it ended up being a semantics thing. It was like, this is going to be the strength of the team. And so when the offensive line wasn't dominant, it left people going, I thought this is going to be the strength. And you're like, well, 
in a relative sense, it kind of was, but that's mm-hmm. because really none of the pieces were all that good, you know, for the entirety of that year. But um, I don't know. Is Wes is Georgia happy with their offensive line? They probably should be. They're pretty massive. Isn't that what Beam, how Beamer classified him yesterday? Massive offensive line, loaded with former, you know, high four star guys, five star guys, good bit of depth, lots of size. That's I'm, a pretty strong unit, I think. I mean, this whole. I got. I, let's let's turn this around. All right, Tyler, we're going to ask you questions. Okay, this should be fun. <laughs> sure. <laughs> what is the weakness of this Georgia team? Because in in and the reason I say that is that sentence Chris just said. Fill in every single position. Like they're they're recruiting. Yeah. There there is no weakness on paper as far as how yeah. they recruit. I feel like they recruit every single position mm-hmm. at a high level. Um, but if and I, I know we're talking in a relative sense, like this is two time defending national champion. Their weakness probably is a strength for every other team in the country for the most part. Uh one specific area I can't really say <laughs> they are potentially without Javon Bullard this weekend, so that's something. That you could potentially exploit. Plug in the next um, big time. Their, op- their options are Dan Jackson, who has played quite a bit over the past couple seasons, as well as David Daniel Sisavon, who is a four star. So and who hasn't played a lot. So there is that. But that's kind of it's the only potential area of concern. Now running back's a little bit thin. Um, <clears throat> Kendall Milton is <laughs> banged up. Not as thin as South Carolina. I will say that. Not as thin as South Carolina, but not what we thought it was going to be coming into the season. I remember hearing that that thin thing in the off, like reading um, our guys over at Dogs HQ and stuff. The running back depth, you know, somebody I think somebody got injured. So is like running back depth's yeah, not so as they, good. Yeah, you only got eight four stars yeah. on your roster now. So they lost Branson Robinson That's for right. the season prior to Dijon Edwards has been banged up, Kendall Milton's been banged up, Roderick Robinson, the true freshman, has is currently leading the team so yeah. far. So they do have. They got bodies. They're 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 fine, but it's not what it what they thought it was going to be coming into the season. I don't ever believe that. Yeah, you know either. what? When they're talking about Georgia and running backs, <laughs> like some five star will just show up on game day and suit up, even if they lost four guys. But you know, tell, telling though that Tyler just struggled to even <laughs> think of a weakness for this team. Um, what? Where's the? All right. Where's the biggest? What position has the biggest change from last year to this year? I mean, obviously quarterback comes to mind, but um, as far as like not even weakness, but what was the area on this team that Georgia fans were saying, ah, that's going to be a question this year because we lost X, Y, Z, and this guy hasn't played much. I mean, I think you have to point to quarterback and, you know, no matter no, how No, I you, said not quarterback. Well, not quarterback, <laughs> okay. But, I mean, there are – questions about Carson Beck because this is going to be his first time starting a significant game because UT Martin and Ball State were teams that they dispatched pretty easily. Um, I mean, a lot of, again, it's it's really hard here. Um, you had a lot of turnover at wide receiver, but again, you bring in Dominique Lovett and Ra Ra Thomas, who are very proven guys yeah. in the SEC, so it's not like you really have questions about yeah, them necessarily sense. you lose some guys but you get lad mcconkey back yeah well he so he might not play this weekend okay that's the back dealing, injury right with the back injury yeah but also makai muse has stepped up as the slot guy and has is leading the team in receiving right now had a punt return touchdown this past weekend return. so like they're good and not a big time recruit no he was a walk-on 
Yeah, so th- this is the thing, like, there's been some conversation about this recently. Georgia has recruited, and we can – I'll throw in the word arguably. They have arguably recruited better than anybody else in the country for the last, what, you know, three years, four years. Mm-hmm. But they also have brought in – they have been elite at bringing in lower-ranked players, walk-on players. Stetson Bennett, yep, a good example. Um, they've been active in the transfer portal. Right, yeah. so they they've recruited elite high school talent, but then they looked around the offseason and said, you know, we're, we're losing some receivers. Um, let's go grab Mississippi State, and Missouri's leading receivers off their team. We'll, we'll get those guys. You know, it, so then you get the big time guys like Brock Bowers. Name a guy on the offensive line. Name a player on defense. But then you have the Dan Jacksons of the world. You mm-hmm. have Lad McConkey, who was like a three star. Makai Muse, mm-hmm. you know, a five eight guy slot receiver who was not a big-time recruit. They've been really, really good at identifying, you know, some under-the-radar guys, too, and developing them, and that's why, hey, that's why, be quite frank, just call it like it is, that's why they're tough to beat. I mean, they have really good talent across the board. They've got experience across the board. They have a ton of depth, and um, that's why they're so challenging to play. It's not going to be easy this weekend, I'll say that much. So, Beck, I I think... That that really probably is the answer. I, yeah. I took away yeah, the yeah. layup from you, Tyler. But, for sure. Um, I, I do feel like if this game was in Columbia, you probably would be pointing to the you know first time in a road game atmosphere. We saw what Williams Bryce looked like this past week, like putting him in a situation where you know he's having to go into a hostile environment and, and execute. And I, I do think that. Stetson Bennett, like, everybody wanted to sort of just um, gloss over how good he was for the majority of the two years. And then he finally, I felt like, last season started getting credit for being a big-time quarterback. Like, Mm -hmm. people started to kind of remove the game manager tag. They were finally like, okay, admit it. Like, this guy is a actually great college quarterback. But then... I thought it was almost just kind of smoothed over, like, all right, yeah, we can replace him. We got this next guy in line. He was a highly recruited guy. Um, no worries whatsoever. Now, some of that is because, again, the talent around you. But sure. I, I do think, like, Georgia's defense, they're going to be great. They're loaded, athletic, pass rush, stop the run. They're going to do all the things we're used to seeing them do under Kirby Smart the last uh, few years offensively. If you were going to just kind of nitpick and and try to find out, is there something here that maybe we don't know yet because they just haven't been tested yet? Right. You're probably saying fresh quarterback, n- new old offensive coordinator. Yep. <laughs> and Mike Bobo. New old. <laughs> Love that. Um, you know, they, there were some slow starts the first two games against lackluster opponents at the same time. I also don't really put any true stock in that either. It's very easy for a team that's infinitely more talented to kind of sleepwalk through a couple of drives and then just pour it on, honestly. And if you're Mike Bobo, you don't want to show your full hand against two teams that you're not going to have any problems beating. So there's going to be things we're going to see this weekend against South Carolina that they have not run up to this point this season because there's no reason you needed to to beat UT Martin and Ball State. I mean, Kurt, Kirby even said, I think, after the UT Martin game, like, we really weren't tested. Like, he said some type of version of that. And, 
um, which I, I can kind of appreciate uh, actually about him where, you know, he's not – we gave him a hard time for some things he said yesterday um, about about Tonka. But he, he doesn't get up there and say, that was a great opponent. We, You know, if it's an overmatched team. I mean, he, he said it during his Monday press conference like, you know, we were just so much bigger than them. You don't really know on the lines of scrimmage. But here's my bottom line question, Tyler. We can continue to unpack this. Okay. Is the, we probably the answer might be we don't know. They brought in a lot of new talent, like yep. transfers, right? They, they're still very talented. Um, is this team as good as last year's? This Georgia team? Uh, I don't think you can have a firm answer on that right now. I would lean towards no. How big of a drop off? I don't know yet. That's the yeah. yeah. Um, but I would. I'd give the nod to last year's team, at least as of right now. Yeah, I think the dudes you lost were, were dudes. And you brought in some new ones, yeah, sure. for sure. And again, kind of a similar situation the year before. It's like, well, is 22 <laughs> going to be as good as 21? It turned out to be a pretty darn good team. But again, yeah. we, we couldn't necessarily tell that from the first couple of weeks necessarily, but um, a, a better answer later on in the season, I guess. Which, which Georgia team was better? Between 21 and 22? Yeah. Oh, gosh. Um... That twenty-one defense was extra special. Yeah, like I think last the twenty-one defense is better than the twenty-two defense, so I probably lean towards the 20, 21. And then, so they took such a big drop off that they <laughs> gave went up. undefeated. Yeah, yeah, went undefeated. Yeah, what fourteen point three points per game yeah. last year allowed? I think so. Mm. Two literally. Just barely over two touchdowns yeah, a game. Pretty much. That's tough. Yeah. You, and so here's the thing. I think we all in our minds say this is, even though they're different players at different spots, you go into this sort of saying, this is a similar Georgia team mm-hmm. as far as talent level. Yeah. The the one question you don't have, we always like to sort of assume, oh, year to year, you know, last year's team was amazing. This year's team pretty much unbeatable as well. Are there any cracks that just have not been exposed yet? I right. think is kind of the thing you you don't know. You don't know how Carson Beck is going to respond to being put in a fourth quarter situation where you have to go down there mm-hmm. and win the game for your team. You have to rally the troops and sort of uh, be that guy, be the guy that Stetson Bennett was. Now, the the rub is that you have to be able to put Georgia in that spot. Right. Uh, we'll hear from what Coach Beamer and some of the players had to say yesterday in speaking to the media ahead of this game against Georgia. That's coming up. You're listening to the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour presented by Firehouse Subs here on the game. It's the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour with Chris Clark, Wes Mitchell, and Tyler Head on your home of the Gamecocks in Columbia, 107.5 The Game. Also heard on 100.3 The Game in Myrtle Beach and 100.5 The Game in Florence. Welcome back in Gamecock Central Takeover Hour presented by Firehouse Subs, Tyler, Wes, and Chris along with you. Of course, Coach Beamer speaking to the media yesterday, as he does every single Tuesday, which we care for you right here on the game. Sponsored by Pete Alewine Pools and Spas. And one of the big questions, of course, through the entire offseason and the start of this season, is what's going on with the offensive line? And coming away from Saturday against Furman, what could Tree Babalade and Trevon Ball be as far as potentially playing this weekend against Georgia? 
Here is what Coach Beamer had to say about those two. Uh, getting out there and playing obviously is is huge for them. You know, the moment wasn't too big for them. Tree's just a Tree's got a big smile on his face. Like no matter what's happening, you know, he could be getting beat by twenty eight, which I hope that's never happening, or or winning by twenty eight, and he's just got the same like happy smile on his face as well. But he is a mammoth guy with really great athleticism, and um, will continue to get better. Tro was just a, a mauler in there. I mean, you hear coaches talk about guys having heavy hands, meaning like when they put their hands on you, you feel it, and Tro does uh, when he gets his hands on people also. He's got an, an edge to him also, you know, which I love. They, they came out there and played with, with fight and competitive spirit, which was great to see. Uh, certainly they made a lot of – uh, they made mistakes, but uh, for to be in there, a true freshman playing left tackle and playing playing guard, pretty impressive. And they will um, they will continue to get better. And we know that the front, the defensive line, they're going to be they're going to face this week is different than what we saw last week, you know, against Furman. But just being able to get in there and get game action um, will will do nothing but benefit them. It's a double edged sword, you know. Asking two true freshmen to shot out there against one of the best defensive fronts in the entire country is certainly a tall order, but if they give you your best option at those spots, then why wouldn't you put them out there? Yeah, and I, I rewatched the game. I thought both those guys handled themselves very well. You obviously got to consider who the opponent is, and uh, but especially Tree, man. He's a guy, he moves his feet well. Obviously, he's going to keep progressing from a technique standpoint and just from knowing all the different moves you may get from a a defensive end or edge guy or blitzing linebacker and and all the different checks and responsibilities that go into that spot but you know just as far as moving his feet once he was engaged with uh, defenders it didn't seem like they were going anywhere like there's a lot of just natural strength here huge kid you know, you potentially, it sounds like uh, you add Marquis Anderson back into this mix here soon as well. I don't know if you just, I don't know if you throw Marquis out there against Georgia this week, but it's nice if you're South Carolina to know you have that option. This, to me, if, if those guys keep progressing, it's more of an if than a win, it seems like. And it, it's just a matter of, are you comfortable putting them out there in Athens with, with what you're going up against? I think certainly you start looking ahead maybe even to Mississippi State at home next week. And depending on how the line itself keeps progressing, uh, I think you would start to sort of slowly introduce those guys more and more. And, you know, I I, I kind of thought Ja'Kai Moore did okay out at right tackle as well. So by putting Tro in at guard, it gives you that option to play Ja'Kai out there and and maybe lock down that right right tackle spot. So again, interior depth. You add in Tro, you add in Marquis. Trey Jones played a little bit late on Saturday. I think they've built some depth at guard. The key will be can they sort of continue to build depth and and really frankly fix the uh, the starting spot at the tackle uh, at both tackle spots. Shane Beamer kept using the word you know growing pains when you're playing those freshmen up front. Um, you go back and look at, at Tree's performance, and I kind of keyed on in on him a little bit more maybe just because he is out there on the edge. Again, you're playing left tackle. Uh, Nick Gargiulo and, and other offensive linemen have told us sitting in here in studio with us that's the hardest spot to play. I mean, you're out there on an island. You're playing typically the team's 
team that you're lined up against, you're playing their their best pass rusher, and a lot of times you're in one-on-one situations. That's tough, and it's also tough as a young player because you haven't seen everything, and you don't have those game reps. Georgia is going to throw some things at you, you know. Uh, now, if they can get pressure with four all day, if they can get pressure with three like we saw at times in the North Carolina game, it's going to be a very long day, and they might just go that route consistently. Uh, but they're going to throw things at you that are kind of, you know, different blitz packages, different looks up front. They're going to move. They're going to uh, stunt before the snap. They're going to throw some difficult things at these younger guys. Hey, they're going to throw difficult things at experienced guys. So you're going to have to know if you play them, there may be some times where they miss an assignment, and that can spell trouble, especially against a team like Georgia. They're much more equipped to make you play, pay than Furman. They're certainly even more equipped to make you pay than North Carolina. But I do think when you look at those guys physically, they're imposing. They're probably two of the most impressive guys on the team just looking at them, and I think they're two of the most talented guys already on the offensive line just, just sitting here as true freshman, you know, summer enrollees, which is pretty impressive. That speaks to, I think, their ability and the, and the recruiting efforts of the staff. So th- there's a trade-off. There's a there's s- certain situations that South Carolina's in this year, and this is one of them, where you have a trade-off. If you make one move, you have to consider the other, and that's you know that's a problem with not having, um, you know, four or five, fourth and fifth year starters who you feel great about returning on the line. When you have these questions, sometimes they remain questions. So I, I would be I don't know where if where y'all land on it. I would I'd be tempted to get those guys in there though and get them a look and, and see how they perform. And that's kind of what we saw last week. We saw them get in there early and mix in and integrate. And I think overall they did some pretty good things. Yeah, and again, if they give you your best option at those two spots, I don't see why you wouldn't. There is certainly the factor of, you know, you don't want to kill their confidence by going out there and them having a rough day in their first start or whatever against just a really good defensive front. But again, you don't, you're kind of limited on what your options are. Do we want to continue trotting Sidney Fugar out there at left tackle? That seems to have not gone well through the first two weeks. I feel like you need to try something different this time. Yeah, you know, going off of what they did this past week, I I wouldn't be surprised if they, you know, maybe just went a similar route, and that was to start the older guys and then implement the younger guys as you went on. I I would be shocked this week if they rolled both freshmen in there at once, you know, even uh, against Furman. They, uh, they went with the older guys. They introduced uh, Tro on about the third series of the game, and he went in, but the rest, for the most part, stayed the same. They slid Ja'Kai out to right tackle, and they took uh, Wanamaker out. Then drive number four, they actually sit, uh, slid Tree in there at left tackle. Troy was still on the field, so you had two freshmen on the field then. As the game progressed, though, they actually put the first-team unit back in. That was the group, I believe, that was in for South Carolina's two touchdown drives at the end of the half. And then ultimately, obviously, later on, they emptied the bench. So I I think, obviously, from a talent standpoint, from just an upside standpoint, you kind of know what those two guys give you. I'm not sure if the staff is quite at the point watching them every single day in practice to where they're saying, you know, these are definitely our best two right now to to take over those roles, especially going into Athens. So I I think you probably introduced them into this game at some point and then sort of ride the hot hand would be my guess. But then I think as this year progresses, certainly you get back home next week, Mississippi State, 
Not that they're a bad team. They're obviously an SEC team as well, but there's a difference between facing a regular old average SEC team versus facing, um, you know, arguably the best defense and defensive front in the country. So I, I think all those things will be factors this week. I also heard from a couple of players yesterday, one of them being Mario Anderson, the transfer running back, who got to speak for the first time after finally getting some action this past Saturday against Furman. He had a particular comment that I wanted to focus on. Let's hear what he had to say coming up. You're listening to the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour presented by Firehouse Subs here on the game. Um, I still feel as though we need to have a little bit more of a physicality approach to it, and that's something that we've been doing more of the last two weeks, just being more physical up front so that we can have a run game and the running backs being more physical and stuff. So I feel like just the physicality point of it is the point of emphasis. Welcome back in Gamecock Central Takeover Hour presented by Firehouse Subs. Tyler Weston, Chris Long with you. That was the voice of Mario Anderson yesterday talking to the media about some things that the running backs could do a little bit differently after we've seen eh, not a great running game through these first couple of weeks. Now a lot of that does have to do with the Offensive line and the run blocking abilities not being all that great so far and and what Mario Anderson mentioned there with running backs having to be physical and that's especially true considering the fact that they're having to break a lot of tackles in the backfield because that's where contact is being made. So if they want to have any kind of success, they're going to have to be physical to get to any uh, if they want any success of getting a, you know past the line of scrimmage more often than not. Yeah, you know they uh, they ran a physical camp uh, I think to try and develop some of that physicality. Obviously, it's it's still a work in progress, I think, overall. I will say this. There, there was a lot of getting hit in the backfield, obviously, or hit at the line of scrimmage against North Carolina for the group as a whole. I thought against Furman, not that the offensive front was, like, dominant, but I, I did think there were actually some missed opportunities from the running backs to break one additional tackle where it's one of those one-on-one situations where you got to either run through the guy, around the guy, or juke the guy, basically, uh, you know, pick one, just make him miss, and, you know, to create some bigger plays. So I, I think, much like anything in football, this thing is kind of uh, multifaceted. If you're going to get better in the running game in your South Carolina, you got to get better, clearly at the point of attack, but you also have to get better, you know, in the running back room as well. I thought there was maybe a couple times. It's easy for me to say watching from my vantage point, but there was maybe a cut here or there where there was a bigger lane to run through. And those are things that will all potentially come with time, I think. But certainly, if I'm Mario Anderson, I'm I'm wanting the physicality to be a big part of the conversation because from what I saw in limited time, this is a pretty physical dude. He got in the game, you know, early on after not playing at all last week. And I, I think this is a guy you maybe want to turn to in goal line situations for sure. And in short yardage situations, I think he brings that element. And then, you know, may, maybe more snaps in general as well. Yeah, the numbers for Anderson were kind of interesting. So looking at our guy Clark Brooks, SEC stat cat, always has, you know, we broke down Spencer Rattler's chart last week versus North Carolina how good it was. Another really good chart this week for Rattler. But in terms of rushing, one of the things that Clark Brooks from SEC StatCat pointed out against North Carolina was that, you know, the yards before contact was just not good enough for South Carolina. And, you know, eyeball test and, you know, if you actually look at the statistics, it was better against Furman, which you would expect. You, you would 
if it was not any better, that'd be an even bigger alarm. You know, can you take away a lot from that? I don't know. You know, th- this will obviously be a much bigger test, a better measure of success if they can find any. And we know, guys, that historically, we've talked about it here on the show, it's been extremely difficult to run the ball on any Georgia defense the last few years. Yeah, I, I think um, I, also there's a situation here where we've already seen the fan base saying, well, hey, play this guy more, play that guy yeah. more. I've maybe been somewhat guilty of that as well. Clark also points out that three of South Carolina's broken tackles actually by to carry on Joyner. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, this same tweet here, six tackles for loss allowed compared to one explosive play from the running game. We've seen South Carolina create explosive plays at a pretty nice clip in the passing game. We have not seen those chunk plays yet. As a matter of fact, according to this, we have seen the exact opposite in the running game. And that's why, you know, I I think I was one of them watching the game Saturday night. Man, they've got to take a shot at some point. They obviously, they ended up opening it up. I think from a game plan standpoint, it made sense. But you're going to continue to see more shorter passes as an extension of the run game um, because you do have to find... The, the reality is throwing a, a pass behind the line of scrimmage at the line of scrimmage is a safer throw than even when you have Spencer Rattler and Xavier Leggett, some of these guys, it's a safer throw than throwing it 12 yards down the field. It's just just science. It's just math. You know, but, but you have to... You were going to see more of that because of the fact that they have not found enough success in the running game. And, and guys, honestly, this isn't. This probably is not the week where you go. Oh, there's 200 rushing yards, you know, and a bunch of and a bunch of explosive plays. That's going to be tough to find. But what you do need to do is incrementally improve, and and you do need to find a way to create some more explosives. And I think that's that starts with continuing to develop guys up front. And it it's incremental progress from guys like Joiner, like Mario Anderson. Heck, maybe maybe Roswell in there too. Yeah, I think um, I think Clark gets caught up a little bit in the short safe throw yeah. thing. Yeah, I think that annoys him. <laughs> the uh, he wants downfield throws. The fans around me were getting annoyed by it as well on Saturday. But I think I think we have to remember like. Mm-hmm. They're they're calling those in situations where if they had a great running game, they would probably be calling run calls. Mm-hmm. And so we we saw Dow Loggins very much lull them to sleep and then go over the top with concepts that were actually in some cases, I think, built off the idea that Furman Furman's guys were attacking South Carolina on the perimeter and then you go over the top of them. So if you're watching the game you know, this week, next week, and you say, why are they going underneath? Why are they go-? that? That's going to have to be a part of the game plan right now because that's the only way to best get the ball to your playmakers because right now your best players are Spencer Rattler and those wide receivers. Well, and another thing that uh, Spencer Rattler pointed out to us on GC Live on Monday was a, a decent amount of what they called were RPOs too. So that's another way to try c- – kind of trying to manufacture the run game a little bit, kind of smoke and mirrors it a little bit where you're letting your quarterback make that call of let's not run this into a stack box. You know, let's pull this out. Let's make a throw. Mario Anderson, West, since you were talking about him and meant to double back to this with some of Clark Brooks' stats, he had 
Braswell had two yards before contact on average, but he only saw four carries. Anderson had six. 1.3 yards before contact on average for Mario Anderson. He also had the highest yards after contact on the team by a pretty good measure. He had three and a half yards on average after contact during his six carries on Saturday night. All right, speaking of the running back spot, well, let's hear a little bit about what uh, DeCarion Joyner had to say as well yesterday. Um, I just got to continue just to uh, trust my offensive line um, in some situations, continue to trust them. Um, I think as far as me, uh, continue just to make the plays when, when they are there. Uh, I got to just continue being a dynamic running back, continue just to grow and just continue to grow my game. Um, it's my second game at running back I've never played in my life. Um, just got to continue to grow my game, continue just to uh, trust my training, continue to trust Coach Hardesty and what he's teaching me, um, continue to trust my eyes. I just kind of just trust everybody around me and let everything just continue to flow. Um, I think we got into a rhythm last game, but then we're going to continue to, I know we're going to continue to elevate um, and just continue to get this run game going. And again, like we were just talking about with Mario Anderson just a second ago, you haven't had the opportunity to truly see this running game fleshed out just yet. You saw a quick glimpse of, of what Derek Carrion Joyner can do once he breaks off a long run when he had that 16-yarder in drive number one uh, against Furman. But still, this whole running game as a, as a unit uh, with the offensive line and the backs themselves is going to be a work in progress throughout the entire season. Yeah, I think one thing Joyner has done a really good job of is being a receiver out of the backfield. And they've done a good job of getting him the ball in space in that role. Like I, I think that's been his strength this year. And to me, I, I think facing Georgia, just even looking against Furman, some of their best stuff was when they spread it all the way out. They even It maybe sounds counterproductive to say go empty and limit your um, your guy's blocking. You know, some people say, well, hey, you know, let's tack on blockers. Well, if you tack on blockers, then also at times if a defense gets wind, that, that's what you're doing over and over. They're just going to tack on rushers as well. So I kind of like the idea of spreading this thing out, going empty. If you, you know you have five blockers, so you know if they bring six, it's a, it's a hot. Like you got to get the ball out. And I think one thing we've seen Rattler do all season so far is get the ball out quick. So that that's something I would maybe look to see continue this week is more empty, more just spreading it out wide. And uh, you know, if you get Joiner matched up with a linebacker in the passing game, they got uh, they actually got Leggett matched up with a linebacker in the passing game by lining him up in the backfield on that fourth and one or two in the sec in the first half, second quarter. And so I, I think that's something you'll see them continue to do is use the backs or Leggett in the backfield as part of the passing game, which is really an extension of your running game. Spencer Rattler kind of was prophetic in the offseason because he mentioned, hey, we're, I love this offense. We're getting the ball out quickly, and we're pushing the ball downfield. That, that has come true, right? I mean, we, we've seen him get the ball out very quickly, extensions of the run game. I think they probably had to go to that even more than they thought they originally would. Um, North Carolina game, obviously they had some issues with with getting the ball downfield, with taking the sacks at times, but lots of explosive plays, getting out quick and getting it downfield. He kind of predicted it. Let's hear what some of the defensive players had to say yesterday and look ahead to what we hope to hear from coordinators later on today. You're listening to the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour presented by Firehouse Subs here on the game.
It's the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour with Chris Clark, Wes Mitchell, and Tyler Head on your home of the Gamecocks in Columbia, 107.5 The Game. Also heard on 100.3 The Game in Myrtle Beach and 100.5 The Game in Florence. Um, we move some pieces around just to um, schematically just... Um, trying to cook up stuff to slow them down and contain um, their whole passing game. So all we got to do is go out there and execute and um, trust our technique, and then everything will fall into place. Welcome back in. Gamecock Central Takeover Hour presented by Firehouse Subs. Tyler West and Coach along with you for a few more minutes for turning things over to Terry for today's edition of the Halftime Show. That was the voice of Marcellus Dial. Talking to the media yesterday about slowing down UGA's passing attack this upcoming weekend. And, you know, when you talk about the defense, which has struggled up front, you certainly feel like South Carolina's uh, best unit is its secondary, you know, led by guys like Marcella Style. It sounds like we're going to have Nicky Minori this weekend. Maybe, maybe not. Uh, according to Beamer, he was practicing yesterday. Um, but, but again, you're going to need uh, as many hands on deck as you can this weekend if you want any shot against uh, Georgia defensively. Yeah, I think my question, other than, you know, can South Carolina just hang in there up front, but if you start talking about the passing game, secondary, all that stuff, who draws the assignment of <laughs> covering Bowers? You know, like that. that's obviously a – I mean, it's a, he's a walking mismatch. Yeah. And no matter who you pick, it, it's a tough battle. And I, I do think, depending on – you know, is, is he even worry – if he plays, is he 100%? Is he 95%? He's the guy, I mean, I, I agree with him 100%. We were talking about Nick Harbor this offseason. Nick E said, well, hey, guys, I'm a freak too. So, you know, I think he has the athleticism, the size to to match up with him. If not him, you know, or if he is still banged up, not that I want to put it on a freshman, but I, I think Kilgore is probably the guy that has the length to try and, and match up with him. If you figure Georgia's going to be in three wide, you know, you probably have the nickelback on the slack guy, the two corners on the outside receiver. South Carolina plays a ton of man. It's probably going to be one of your safeties matched up with Bowers. So for South Carolina, you, you got to kind of make a decision on which guy I feel like you feel like can best handle that matchup. Nobody's going to love that matchup on your side <laughs> defensively, but – a healthy Eamon Worry, just with his overall size and speed, may be your best-case scenario. And, you know, Todd Munkin did a really good job of moving Bowers around to use mm-hmm. him in the run game. He, he would kind of force mismatches and get – Bowers can is a mismatch for anybody, like Wes said, but he did a really good job of finding ways of, all right, here's Bowers on your, your weakest player, you know, on defense. He kind of was able to scheme that up, and so – I, I think they'll look to do the same thing under Mike Bobo. You know, they'll they'll, they'll try to work that. Um, and it's going to be tough. I mean, you, you can have your best player on him and, and defensively do a really good job of trying to do that, trying to force that, and Bowers can still make you pay. And that's to say nothing of everybody else on this roster, the, the massive offensive line, the other receivers that can hurt you, the backs, the quarterback. They, they just have a lot of weapons. We certainly saw Bowers make a huge early impact last year in this game. And this was a team for South Carolina that, remember, came into that game very beat up defensively, especially in the secondary. And it showed very early with a lot of the chunk plays, a lot of the shot plays that Georgia was able to have. So for me, 
I think it starts exactly what you said, Wes, up front. If you are unable to affect Carson Beck, if you're unable to stop the run, none of this other stuff is is really even going to matter in the grand scheme. Right. Uh, again, coordinators coming up a little bit later on this afternoon. Uh, anything in particular we're hoping to hear from them? I mean, <laughs> I'll try to give you a better answer than my no last <laughs> week. But, I mean, at, at this point, you're not going to give away the game plan. No. These coordinators don't give away injury information. And so... <sighs> I don't feel like they give away much personnel info either. So, you know, I, I think you do get a nice general sense to an extent of what they see out of Georgia. Like, you know, the question, hey, what stands out about this bunch? Um, you know, they'll give you a little scouting report that I think is worth taking into account. Are we going to learn anything about South Carolina, South Carolina's game plan, South Carolina's personnel, South Carolina's depth chart, any of those things today? Probably not. Well, I still listen, of course. I am most interested, and I don't know if we're hearing from Limbo today, but uh-huh. I'm most interested to hear from Pete Limbo because he will shoot it straight on what he thought about his unit's performances this past week. And that, guys, so I'm, I'm glad y'all, y'all went there. Good segue. We'll talk about this more throughout the week, I'm sure. This is one of the only games maybe the only game that I've gone into where you're concerned about South Carolina special teams. Like, I remember the bowl game. We knew Notre Dame was really good on special teams, and that actually both teams made some huge fakes in that game, made some big plays, just both very solid. But almost any game you're going into, it's saying South Carolina has the advantage, sometimes a very distinct advantage in special teams. Last year, I remember – the Missouri game was an instance where you're like, South Carolina needs to not let Missouri play even with them. They did. Missouri kind of presented them from making a big play, played them even, and then outplayed them in the other phases, so they won. This has been such a difference maker for the Gamecocks. You need it in this game, but, man, Georgia's special teams are really good. Not only are they very solid in the coverage game, they're very, very solid in the return game. They just have a lot. Of, it goes back to what we were talking about earlier with the recruiting, the depth of athletes there's still some things that you can tell Pete Limbo in South Carolina. Not the kicking battery, not the punter, not the kicker, not the snapper, but just coverage and returns. This is an area that I think you got to circle going into the game. Absolutely. That'll do it for today's edition of the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour. Presented by Firehouse Subs, halftime show with Terry. Coming up next, right here on the game. 107.5 The Game in Columbia, 100.3 The Game in Myrtle Beach, and 100.5 The Game out in Florence.